Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of Life of Love. This is part three of the series entitled Power of Love. And now, here's Pastor John. We're going to read the, the last half of the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12. Now this is a transitional verse. And I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get too English geek on you here, but, but this is a, a, an important verse because it connects the previous conversation to, to what he's about to say. The Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, in the entire, mostly the entire chapter of verse of chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. And so now he's, he's transitioning. He said, so, so he's concluding that conversation. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Okay. But look at this transition. But now let me show you a way of life. That's the best of all. Let me show you a way of life. That's the best of all. The best of all. Father, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds today with the truth of your word. And God, I pray that you help us to recognize that, that this truth today is not just knowledge. It's not just knowledge, God, because we, we don't just need knowledge. We need a relationship with you. So I pray, God, today we don't just conceptualize this, but we personalize it. And we express it through our relationship with you and into every other situation and relationship of our lives. May we understand and embody your love today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, uh, we're just going to kind of dive in today. We're in week three of a, of a uh, series called The Power of Love. The power of love. And in the verse that we just read, the Apostle Paul, as I said, he's having this discussion with the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts and about unity in the body of Christ. So he's talking about all the gifts that the Spirit gives to each individual. Every one of us has a spiritual gift, and, and, and we are to use them for the edification and the unity of the body of Christ. But as part of that discussion, he begins to pivot to something that, that he says is even more important in the life of a believer. More important than using your God-given spiritual gift. And it's not a separate discussion. The topics are related, and we're going to get into, into uh, the next verse in chapter 13. We're going to get into that next week, talk more about that. But Paul is shifting this conversation from spiritual gifts to love. In, in, in chapter 13 is what we classically refer to as the love chapter, and we'll talk about some of that today as well. But what's really significant to me is how Paul, how Paul expressed this or how he, um, what he said about this. He said it is a, a way of life. He said love is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. And it's not just any lifestyle. Paul, the writer of a third of the New Testament, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen this, he said this is not just a good lifestyle. This is the best lifestyle for a believer to live. And so when the Apostle Paul says something is the best, it gets my attention. 
and it should get all of our attention. We, we need to find out what it is. So today I want us to explore this concept about how to live the life of love. How to live the life of love. And, and here's the first thing that a life of love, the uh, first thing that characterizes a life of love, and that's that love chooses. Love chooses. Now we're going to take a look at other scriptures, and, and there's a sort of a theological concept that comes from scripture that says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let something be established. So we're, we're not just going to look at one verse, we're going to look at several verses, and we try to do that every week. But there's enough in this one scripture right here to, to show you that, that if you're going to live the lifestyle of love, you're going to have to choose. Love chooses. Love decides. Love makes up its mind. You say, but John, this, the, the lifestyle that he describes in, in, uh, in chapter 13 is impossible. It's impossible. It's a demonstration of the divine nature, and we just can't attain to that. Let me, let me ask you this. Why would Paul have even told the Corinthians about a lifestyle that wasn't attainable? Why would he say, let me show you this lifestyle? If it wasn't attainable, if it were just a description of the nature of God and, and, the, and the way his love is so unattainable for us, then wouldn't he have couched it in terms of praise and worship? Instead of saying, let me show you a lifestyle that's better than walking out your spiritual gifts. So the way Paul presents it helps us understand that he was clearly teaching and instructing the Corinthians, who were, by the way, a very arrogant and self-centered people. He was instructing them that they need to change their way of life, change their way of living to match up with God's expectations and desires for them. Let me put it this way. Do you think God wants us to use our spiritual gifts? Do you? That wasn't a trick question. Y'all calm down. Do you think God wants us to use our spiritual gifts? He wants us to use them for the advancement of the, of the, of the kingdom, the strengthening of the body, right? And, and so right out of that conversation where he's teaching us to, to employ our spiritual gifts for the good of the people, then Paul right in the middle of that says, and now I want to show you a way of life that's even better. So if you think living in your spiritual gift and walking that out is good, let me show you something that's not just better, it's the best. So given that context, doesn't it sound like this is also a lifestyle that God wants us to walk in, this life of love? And if love is a lifestyle, then you have to choose to love. It's a decision. Love's a decision. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Love chooses to love other people. Now let me show you, that, show you this in other contexts. In Matthew chapter 22, and we've read this three or four times um, in the last three or four weeks. The, 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 uh, the Pharisees and scribes are coming to Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. And so they ask him what they think is a really, really difficult question. And they say, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now we've, we've looked at this in several different ways and contexts, and we'll do it even differently today. And, and Jesus replied, you, it's really easy. He said, you, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And then he said, that's the first and the greatest commandment. But there's another one that's connected. It's equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then he says, the entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
He said all the law and prophets, everything that we know about God from the Old Testament is summed up in these two statements, love God, love others as you love yourself. So we talk, we've talked about that in the last few weeks. Here's what I want you to see today. These weren't just statements, were they? They weren't just suggestions, were they? What, what was the question? He said, what's the commandment? These are commandments. Jesus commands us to love. If love was an emotion, how can you command someone to feel it? If love were just something that comes over you, like just jumps on you, you ever talk to a teenage girl about how they feel about some dude? Oh, I just fell in love with him. I just love him. The heart wants what the heart wants. You know, all kind of crazy mess. Love is not just, it doesn't just sneak up on you and attack you. Because if it was, how could he command us? to do it. Jesus commanded that we love him and that we love everybody else around us. That has to mean that love is a choice. Love chooses. There is a lifestyle of love that God's not just hoping we walk in, he's commanding us to. Commanding us to. Now, look at John 15. John 15, 12, and 13. Words of Jesus. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. And then the next verse is, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Again, Jesus uses that language. A new commandment I'm giving you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not optional. This, in this moment, on the last night of his life on earth, Jesus said, here's a new commandment. Love each other the way I have loved you. Jesus was the example for us to follow. He didn't set himself above us. He didn't say, I've showed you a way of love that's far too far too, it, you will never attain it. It's just far too high for you. He said, you need to love people the way I've loved you. Now, let me ask you a question. Was the love of Jesus for his disciples a shallow, self-serving kind of love? No. His love was patient. His love was kind. His love was long-suffering, right? His love, and, and all of those things that it says in 1 Corinthians and we'll read it in a few minutes, but all those things that Paul describes as the lifestyle of love, that's what Jesus did for them. As a matter of fact, just to make sure they understood the new commandment, he told them in verse 13, love, in 12, I, you need to love each other the way I've loved you. And then verse 13, he said, and, and really the greatest way to demonstrate that is to lay your life down for somebody. Lay your life down for somebody as an expression of love? Who thinks like that? Where did he get a crazy idea like that? Well, because that was his plan. Because less than 24 hours from the moment he said that, he had already done that. Less than 24 hours from the time he made that statement, he was lying in a borrowed tomb just outside the city of Jerusalem. He said, love each other the way I've loved you. He had just washed their feet before he said it, and then he turned around and demonstrated the life of love in its ultimate way by laying his life down for them. He said, love demands that you lay your life down for others if necessary. 
Let me ask you another question. Don't answer this out loud. But let me ask you this. Who, who took Jesus' life? Who took his life? Was it the high priest that brought the char false charges against him? Was it, was it the Roman governor? Was it Rome itself, the empire? Did they take his life? J Jesus answered that question for himself and, and weeks or months before he was ever crucified. Look in John 10, verse 18. I love this. Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. Nobody. I sacrifice it voluntarily because I've got the authority to lay it down when I want to and to take it up again. For that was my Father's commandment. How do, how do you take something from God Almighty? You can't sneak up on Him. You can't overpower Him. You can't deceive Him. How do you take something from the Almighty? You can't. You can't. So here's the follow-up to that. If nobody snuck up on nobody took it from him, why in the world did he choose to lay it down? There's only one answer. And it's, it's maybe the clearest thing in Scripture. The reason Jesus laid his life down. The reason he lived his life. The reason he did everything he did was love. The love that Jesus had for us caused him to decide to lay his life down. Why? Because love chooses. You have to choose the life of love just like Jesus did. You say, well, listen, I don't like being forced to choose love. I don't like being forced to love. That's constricting. That, that's limiting. No, not at all. Listen, choosing to love may be the most freeing thing you ever do. Love, think of it like this. Love may be the only thing you really have power over in your life. Your choice to love may be the only thing that you truly have power over in your life because it doesn't depend on circumstance. Your choice to love doesn't, doesn't depend on your love being requited. It doesn't depend on your love being appreciated. It doesn't even depend on it being accepted or even recognized. No matter what happens to you, you can always choose to love. That's not limiting. That's freeing. But because choosing any other way will take you right out of the will of God. If you don't choose love, you are choosing to walk away from the will of God. Why? Because God is love. So I want you to think about this. What else would you choose? If you don't choose love, what are your choices? Hatred? You're going to choose to hate? Dr. King said it rightly. I have chosen to stick with love. Hatred is too great a burden to bear. What else would you choose? Would you choose revenge? Well, God said revenge only belongs to Him. You're not qualified. And you're not able to bear revenge. You, you can't carry a grudge and demand revenge without bumping up against the wall of God's will pushing you in the other direction. What else would you choose besides love? Would you choose evil for evil? Jesus said, don't do that. Don't repay evil for evil. He said, repay evil with good. You know what he was saying in all of these things? You know what he was saying? Choose love. Not hate. Not revenge. Not unforgiveness. Not bitterness. Not strife. Not jealousy. Not gossip. Not division. Not evil. Love. Love. Choose love. Set yourself 
free by choosing love every time because love is the only choice that truly sets you free. Love is the only choice that always sets you free. Every other choice leads to bondage and baggage. Love's a lifestyle. So choose love. Choose love. You say, but what if I choose to love and the other person rejects me? I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to look like an idiot. Well, that depends on who's looking. Doesn't it? Depends on who's looking. The, the world might look at you and think you look foolish because they only understand a self-serving kind of love, a kind of do this for me and I'll do this for you kind of love. But to God, you don't look foolish at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, when we choose to love, when love is a choice and not a feeling, I can imagine him, I can imagine the Father picking us up and pulling us right up to his face. And I can imagine him looking around to Gabriel or whoever happens to be standing around the throne at that time. As a matter of fact, it might be the devil himself who had come to accuse us of something. I can imagine the father picking us up and holding us right up to his face and saying, I think he's starting to look like me, don't you? I can imagine him saying, I can see myself in him. I can see myself in her. I think my image is, is, is becoming clearer. You know, two years ago, he would have chosen to lash out, but today he chose love. That's my boy right there, right? Two years ago, she would have, her natural tendency would have been to withdraw or to hide or to blame or to get bitter, but today she just stepped up and she returned love instead of criticism and anger. That's my girl right there. We never look more like God than when we choose to love. Especially when the recipient doesn't deserve it. Y'all don't know any people who don't deserve love, do you? Or at least doesn't feel that way. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Sinners don't love God. Sinners don't love Jesus. So, John, how can you be so sure? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandment. By definition, if you're sinning, you're not obeying the commandments. Right? So, while we still didn't love Jesus, he sent his son to die for us. Love chooses. It chooses love as a lifestyle. It chooses love as a reflex. That's the kind of lifestyle that Paul was talking about. Now, when you realize that you have to choose a life of love, you have to choose love, then it expresses itself in a couple of ways. And honestly, it, it's not only different from the way the world expresses love, but it's honestly almost, it sounds almost contradictory, but I think you'll understand the difference. Here's the, here's the first thing. So not only do you choose love, but, but when, when you do choose love, then love communicates. Love communicates. And I'll show it to you in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. Love communicates. Instead, now notice he says instead, we'll come back to that in a second, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, uh, the church, head of his body, the church. When you love someone, that love will communicate truth to that person. 
it's impo- it is possible to, to speak truth without loving. Anybody ever had that happen to them? You, it is possible to speak truth without loving, but it's not possible for you to love someone without speaking the truth. Not if you love them the way God loves us. and Not if you, you love them the way God's calling us to love. Now, before you start thinking, I'm glad you're preaching that, preacher, because I, I love my kids, and, and let me, I need to go tell them a thing or two, right? Before you start thinking, I love my coworkers, and I've got some stuff on my mind for them, let me help you see what the Scripture is talking about before you get all of us in trouble, all right? So f- first, you have to define the truth that he's talking about. What truth is he talking about? Well, notice the first word of that scripture that we just read was instead. He was talking about something else before he said we have to speak the truth in love. So let's figure out what that is. Verse 14, let's back it up one verse and find out what the conversation was. So Paul said, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. And then verse 15 says, instead, we will speak the truth in love. So you see, this was part of a larger conversation. He's contrasting the truth that we're supposed to speak in love with the lies that the false apostles and prophets were speaking and spreading. The truth that he's talking about is not your opinion about somebody's dress or their hair or, or, or their career choice or their child-rearing decisions. That's not what he's talking about. The truth in this verse and the only truth that we need to concern ourselves with, with expressing to each other is the truth of God's Word. It's the truth. These false teachers were spreading false doctrines. Paul said, if we're going to become more and more like Christ, then we have to speak the words of Christ with the love of Christ. Did y'all hear what I said? We have to speak the words of Christ with the love of Christ. So it's a very specific truth done in a very specific way. So don't point to this scripture and think it's okay for you to just tell somebody off. Don't don't just point to this and just think it's okay to share your opinion. And as long as you say you love the person, you get to say whatever you want to. Don't put your opinion on the level of God's Word. Why? Because sometimes you're wrong. And God's Word's never wrong. Sometimes you change your mind. But God's Word never changes. Why? It doesn't have to. It's always right. So speaking the unchanging and unchangeable truth of God's Word to someone in a world of shifting sand is the kindest, most loving thing that you can do for that person. So if you see somebody in a difficult situation, someone who's truly struggling with something, if the Word of God has something to say about it, not you, if the Word of God has something to say about it, then say it to them. Share it with them. Share with them what the Word says. Not your opinion about what they've already done, but what the Word says about what they need to do. We share the truth of God's Word with the love of God. But remember, love doesn't just speak to what we communicate. It also speaks to how we communicate it. We share the truth of Christ with the love of Christ. You never see Jesus being harsh with people who don't know the Word. You say, well, Jesus was pretty rough on the Pharisees and the scribes. Yeah, they knew the Word. 
They were either choosing to ignore it or they were perverting it for their own purposes. And that makes the truth angry. Right? So he, was he rough on them? Yes. But you never see him being rough or being harsh or being sharp with people who didn't know the word, people who were truly struggling. He spoke the word in love. In love. Now, let me show you this in, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Galatians 6 and verse 1, this is what Paul said. Dear brothers and sisters, if, it, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should share it on Facebook so that everyone can, quote, pray. That's not what it says. If somebody's overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. When's the last time Christians got accused of being humble and gentle? Right? He said, you help, you help people who are overtaken in a fault gently and humbly, not rudely and arrogantly. And, and I love what he says in verse 3. He kind of picks up on the, on the end of verse 1. He, he says, if you think you're too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. And this is my favorite line in Galatians. You're not that important. He's just not that important. We can act like we would never do that. Y'all ever heard, y'all ever been around a Christian while they, when they hear another Christian who did something wrong? And, they, and immediately you get this attitude like, oh, I would never do such. We can act like that all we want to. That we would never do what they did. Or we'd never fall the way they fell. But every one of us is human. And every one of us are fully capable of doing anything anybody else has done. So love demands that we get off our high horse and we allow love to communicate the truth to that person. Not in arrogance, not looking down on them, but with a recognition but, uh, that, that there but for the grace of God go I. That could be me. And that's where the golden rule comes from, right? You turn around and treat that person the way you'd want to be treated if it were you who'd been caught in that situation. Listen, th this, is, this is something I wish that, that my churches had preached about more when, when I was growing up, the churches I was a part of. Being harsh does not make it more true. Being rude about it doesn't make it more true. You ever been in a conversation and somebody's talking to you and, and then they finally just say, well, can I tell you the truth? Can I just tell you the truth? Y'all ever been in that conversation on the back side of it? Doesn't that just like suck all the air out of the room for a minute? Yeah. What they really mean most of the time, what they really mean is, can I just be a jerk? What they really mean is, I don't, I don't value you enough to take the time to figure out how to communicate this in a way that you can hear what I'm saying. So I just want to relieve myself of my perceived obligation to share the truth with you. So I'm just going to vomit the truth on you and walk away. That's what that normally means, right? That's not what Jesus called us to do. That's not what he called us to do. That's not love. If that's all you've got for that person, just keep your mouth shut and walk away. Because removing love from the truth that you share with somebody will pervert that truth in the ears of the hearer. They're not going to hear the truth of the word. 
You're going to twist it up. It's, you say, but it's still the truth. Yeah, it's still the truth, but it doesn't sound right in the ears of the hearer unless it's delivered with love. Why? Because God is love. So if you're quoting God, but you remove love from the equation, you're messing it up. You're messing it up. That's why, that's why some, well, let's look at Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. You're like, I don't know about that. Yeah, an open rebuke is better than hidden love, and here's why. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. If you know a truth that will help somebody or that applies to somebody's situation, love demands that you share it. You can't love them and stay silent. Love communicates. But love also demands that you do it in the context of love. Your sincerity and your love and your concern for them makes the sting of truth bearable for them. It's why people, it's why parents who love their children will take them, take them to the doctor when they're sick and they'll get an antibiotic shot or a steroid shot. You're like, why would you go and inflict pain on your child? Because you know that a little bit of pain now is going to save them from a whole lot of pain later. It's, it's one of those wounds from a friend kind of thing. Like, baby, I know it hurts, but it's only going to hurt a little and for a little while, and it's going to make you feel better so much faster. Y'all ever had that, have that conversation with somebody? It's the, same, it's the same concept as to why loving parents discipline their children. Is discipline fun for the kid? Does a kid go, yay, I'm going to get my tail whooped? Not like normal kids. Right? That, no kid loves it. The Bible says that. Discipline is not fun. Nobody loves to be disciplined. But if you discipline them, if you love them, you discipline them, inflict a little bit of pain or discomfort now so that you save them a, life, a lifetime of pain and discomfort later. But what, what happens when you remove love from the equation? You can do the same act without love, and then it's not discipline anymore, it's abuse. You see the difference? Do you know how many times preachers have spoken the truth from the pulpit without love? And they wound up, rather than disciplining their flock, they wound up abusing their flock. And it's the same with all, every, one, every form of communication. Every time we communicate the truth of God's Word, if we do it Outside the context of love, we're messing it up and we're abusing somebody. This life of love will demand that we choose to love people and part of loving people is speaking the truth of Christ with the love of Christ in order to bring them to Christ. Now here's the last thing we're going to talk about in this context of a life of love. So not only does love, does love um, communicate, and does love choose, but love covers. Love covers. We live in a world of revelation. We, and what, I don't mean spiritual revelation. We live in a world where there's just no secrets anymore. Where everybody tells everything. Right? And we've got plenty of means to do that now. There's cameras everywhere. There's microphones everywhere. There's nosy people everywhere. If anybody knows anything about your business, chances are they're out there somewhere sharing it right now. But that's not the way of love. 
Look at what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says. Most, of, most important of all, that sounds a lot like what Paul said, that this is the best way of life. Peter said, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Not fake love, not shallow love, deep love. For love covers a multitude of sins. You say, well, yeah, John, but you don't know what he did to me. I'm going to make sure everybody knows what kind of person he is. You say, yeah, John, but everybody thinks she's such a good little Christian. Uh, Let me tell you what she did to me. That's not the way of love. That's not the way of Christ. That's the way of the world. Love makes a different choice. Love chooses a different path. Instead of revealing sin, love covers sin. Instead of broadcasting offenses, love covers over those offenses. Look at the context of the verse. You say, well, yeah, well, that's, that's Jesus' love covering our sin. That's not the context of the verse. Look at what Peter says. Continue to show deep love for each other. It's a command, not an obligation, not, not, a, not a suggestion. And how do you show deep love? By choosing to forgive instead of choosing to be offended. By choosing to love instead of choosing to hate. And listen, it's a choice. I promise you, it's not going to be a feeling because when somebody does something to you, you're, it's not going to be your gut reaction. You have to push past the vengeance, push past the self-preservation, push past the justification, past the hurt, past the pain. And, and, and instead of reacting, you choose to respond. And you respond with the love of Christ. You say, well, John, how, how, do, how do I know how to do that? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. All you do is treat them, you do for them, what Jesus has already done for you. You forgive even before they ask for it. Sacrifice for them even if they don't deserve it. Love them even if they don't return it because love covers. Love covers. Jesus said we would demonstrate, we talked about this last week, we would demonstrate the divine. We would demonstrate the divine by how much we love each other. How in the world can we, can we stay in the church? People ask me from time to time, John, how in the world have you stayed in the same church for 22 years? And, and I always say the same thing. I have a high pain tolerance is what I tell people. And that's only kind of a joke. Because at some level, if you stay in a relationship long enough, the people that, you're, that you love is going to hurt you. Isn't that right? Any honest people here? And it's not that they don't love you, it's just that they're flawed. Just like you're flawed. So, how do you stay in a church for so how do you how do you deal with the hurts and the offenses and and the the things in a in a local church at some point you have to decide love covers love covers love listen it doesn't love doesn't cover up injustice it's not institutional abuse that we're covering up so don't mishear me don't misunderstand the word of god that's not what we're talking about here that's not what peter's saying but when somebody does something to you that you don't like, or you don't appreciate, or you wouldn't do it that way, or you don't agree with it, or it hurts your feelings, you have a choice to make, don't you? Are you going to choose to love? Are you going to let love choose your next step? Or are you going to let self choose your next step? Because if you let self choose, you're going to blow it up. 
right? You're going to tell everybody you can. You're going to make it a big deal. There's going to be all kinds of collateral damage. And every one of us knows multiple churches that that happened to, right? And not just churches, other relationships as well. But if you let love choose, you're either going to go humbly to that person and try to work it out like Matthew 18 says, or you're just going to say, you know what? Just don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. It's all good. And you have to really mean that and really act like that. You, you, you can't just say that and then treat them different. Say that and then be mad at them for eight years. You, you have to pray through the pain, pray through the offense. Sometimes for the sake of the body, for the kingdom of God, you just have to put your big girl panties on. Right? And just say, love covers. And then just let it go. Just let it go. Don't even let it be a blip in your relationship. This year is going to be 28 years for Valerie and I. Our anniversary is in September. And people are, now we're, we're getting so old now, people ask us, how, do you stay, how did you stay married? What's the key to marriage? How did you stay married that long? And, and here's, the, here's the reality. You can't fight about everything. Can you? Anybody been married longer than us that fought about everything that made you upset along the way? You can't fight about everything. Because if you do, one of you's going to be in jail. And the other one probably dead. And I got a pretty good idea which one of us will be where. <laughs> Don't bring me back from the other side. Just let me stay. It's peaceful there. Um... Yeah, you can't, you can't fight about everything. So at some point, you've got to learn to let some stuff go. And if you can't learn to let some stuff go, you're going to die lonely. And that sounds funny, but it ain't funny. Because we all know people who they key on everything. Everything triggers them. Everything sets them off. You've got to let some things go. And you do that because you love each other. Not because they're right. You can love them and let them be wrong. Lord, we need to write that one down, don't we? Letting it go doesn't mean you're saying they're right. It just means some things are just not worth fighting over. So, John, I, I just don't think this is love. I think what this is is passivity. I think it's just avoiding conflict has nothing to do with love. Well, let's look and see the definition of love or the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep, it keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. It's not about me being right. It's about the right thing winning out. Right? Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It always endures through every circumstance. It's not about passivity. It's not about avoiding conflict. It's about choosing love. 
And again, I'm not suggesting there aren't times in every relationship, in every church, in, every, in, in other situations. There's not, there are always going to be times to confront or to address or to even report, depending on what's going on. But those represent a very, very small percentage of the interactions that we have on a daily basis. And every interaction we have is an opportunity to share the love of Jesus, to choose love. Think about all the, all the drama and all the conflict that we see every day that would be eliminated if somebody would choose love. Just one person. You don't have to agree to love each other. It only takes one to choose. If somebody would let love cover. If somebody would live a life of love. Jesus said, if you'll do that, they will know you're my disciple. They'll, not how many scriptures you quote, not how big the Bible is that you tote. No, I'm not trying to make a poem. I'm just telling you. Not, that's not, that's not the, the, the deal. That's not what connects you to the divine. What connects you to the divine is how much you love each other. Jesus said, they'll know you have a relationship with me. That's the power of love. And especially if it's not just an event, but if it's, as Paul said, it's a lifestyle. A life of love that you choose. Because Jesus commands it. Love demands it. The Holy Spirit empowers it. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're going to do anything to please the Lord, we're going to have to live a life of love. A life of love. Now we're going to move into the altar service. And I know we've already had a chance to pray, and that's cool, but, but the appropriate response to the truth of God's Word is always at least taking a moment of self-reflection. So that's what we're going to do. And then if there's any, if you want to pray about anything for any reason, whether it's a relationship, a financial issue, a healing in your body, whatever it is, the altar will be open as it always is, and we'll pray about it as long as you want to pray. But I want you to think about, in response to this, to this word this morning, I want you to think about this. What is it that's preventing you from expressing the love of God? Because we all got our things, right? We all got, we all have our challenges. So, I know for a lot of people, it's this right here. Our mouth provides a stumbling block for us expressing love. That, that, that man, something comes up and we have to choose. And before we even think about it, something's come out of our mouth that has blown the thing up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know you're in here. Do you know that the, the psalmist said, the psalmist said, Lord, set a guard over my mouth set a guard over my mouth. He invited God into the functioning of his mouth. The psalmist said in, a, in another place, he said, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Anything that's going on in your life that separates you from the character and the nature and the expression of God's love in your life he wants to help you with it. And if you'll invite him into it, he will help you. You can pray about your smart mouth. And if you'll listen to him, he'll tap you on the head. 
and try to get your attention before you open it and mess it all up. And the longer you listen and the more you recognize his, his moving and his leading in your life, the, 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 the further back that decision gets pushed. And you'll be able to actually stop before it comes out. So what else, what else stands in your way of expressing love? Are you afraid? Have you been hurt in the past and you're afraid that if you love again that you're going to get hurt again? Pray about that. Pray that the healing comes for you on the inside so that you can love again. Is it anger? It, what is it that keeps you from expressing, from choosing love? The lifestyle of love. Whatever it is, pray about it. Ask God to reveal it to you and ask Him to help you with it. Why don't you stand with me? Father, we just ask now that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts. Lord, you know us better than we even know ourselves. So when you reveal something in us, help us not to question it, but help us to receive it, to explore it, and to try to figure out exactly what you're saying and where that is so we can get it out of our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the areas that are hindering us from expressing and living this lifestyle of love that you called us to. We thank you that you love us and that you are always the ultimate example. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us to your truth in our lives. Draw everyone to this altar, God, that needs to bring you a need, needs to lay down a burden, that needs to repent of their sin, that needs to surrender their lives to you. Draw every person to this altar and meet them here, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.